Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Before we go into the main part of the show, I want to let you know about a new online PR course for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs that I'm running. It's called Vegans in the Limelight and it starts in June. That's 2017 if you're listening in the future. And you'll learn how to get free publicity by getting yourself featured in the media on a regular basis. Now, the course is particularly for vegan professionals who can't afford to hire a PR firm or a publicist at the moment. And I'm running it because I see so many vegan business owners, authors and entrepreneurs missing out on golden opportunities to get into the media, either because they're not confident in approaching journalists because they don't have the skills or they're pitching the media the wrong way. So I'm going to share with you the strategies and techniques for how to do your own PR. The course is tailored specifically for vegan business owners. So there'll be downloadable templates, case studies and bite-sized video training. You'll be able to post questions on the learning platform, which I'll personally respond to. And there'll also be three live group calls you can jump on to ask me anything about getting into the media. And I'll give you answers specifically for your business. So you're not going to be left to struggle along on your own with the course. So if you're keen to get your vegan brand in the limelight, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where there's a link to the course with all the details. And I'll also put the link on the show notes page. In this episode, I interview Brenda Morris, a certified financial planner from Humane Investing in Virginia. Armed with just a notion of wanting to help people, Brenda changed her major five times over the course of four years, ending up with a double major in English and psychology from the College of William and Mary. Now, despite no intentions of entering the finance industry, Brenda began her career in banking, helping clients with both lending and investment needs. After spending over a decade in the financial industry, she left the corporate world in 2009 and founded Humane Investing to provide people with expert financial advice on how to achieve their dreams and live the life they want while investing ethically in regards to people, animals and planet. Shortly after founding Humane Investing, Brenda began working as an investment advisor representative through First Affirmative Financial Network, a group of investment professionals committed to sustainable, responsible impact investing. In this interview, Brenda discusses why financial planning is important at any age, especially for vegan business owners, the difference between a certified financial planner and a financial advisor, what a financial planner does, how financial planning allowed her to go five years without making money while building her business, how she's influencing the financial industry towards ethical and vegan investing, and much more. Here's the interview with Brenda Morris of Humane Investing. 
Hello, Brenda, and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Hello, Katrina. Welcome. <laughs> so the first question I kick off with, with everyone, as you know, and I know you've been listening to the podcast, is the why. Why people run their mission-driven ethical beguses. So tell me about yours. What's the why behind humane investing? Well, I love that you ask that because I'm not a business owner entrepreneur by nature. I come from a long line of people who literally raised their children, stayed home, and I thought I would follow in their footsteps. And when I found out there was this need, I felt that it had to be taken care of by somebody. And I didn't know if I was the right person, but I didn't feel like I really had a choice. So when I found out there were so many vegans that wanted to invest with their values, but nobody was really doing this yet, I said, I have to do this until someone else who is better or better, <laughs> someone else who can do it probably with better intentions than I am, um, takes over. And that has not happened yet, unfortunately. But I'm very, I'm very optimistic as the demand continues to increase. I think there'll be more competition. Wow. That's interesting. And I love that you've done that in as, as often a lot of people do. It's like when you look for something to find it in the market and it's not there, somebody has to step up and do it. Uh, so I love that you've, you've done that, which is fantastic. So you're a, as I understand it, so just clarify this for me, you're a financial planner with the first affirmative network and then you also run humane investing. So how does that kind of work? Like is, is this humane investing a co-brand or a separate business? Just talk a little bit about how that works. Certainly. That's a great question. My background was with corporate America. I was with a bank for many years, and I came up along the ranks where I got all my licenses so that I could advise people on investment products. And at every step along the way, and I'm sure you've heard other business owners say this as well, I had problems ethically with the way they were doing things. And I was really fortunate that all of my managers at every every path I took they saw where I was coming from and they would tell me, you can't change the ship. You can't turn a ship on a dime. And I heard that for over a decade where I would try to do the right thing and have them do the right thing. And I just got frustrated and more and more frustrated. So when I left, and I'm backing up to what you asked me for a reason, when I left, I didn't know how to attack this the best way. So I was literally in the process of starting my own firm, going through all the compliance necessary to do that when I was invited to a conference in New York. And it's kind of funny because I was up in New York to showcase my business for the very first time at the Veg Expo. And this conference happened to be in New York City, and it was put on by First Affirmative. I didn't know anything about them at the time, and I figured it was going to be another invest investment luncheon like I've been through in the past where they're trying to push an annuity product or they want you to sell their mutual fund. And this was completely different. So I was immediately taken with the fact that these financial professionals were all like me trying to change the world. And they had this vision about how to get BPA out of baby bottles. I didn't even know that was a thing until this conference, I'm ashamed to admit. They had a senator there who was working actively to make that happen. They had somebody who was um, part of the firm that was working on greening the Empire State Building. So at the end of this day of learning about investing, but more importantly, learning about how to change the world through investing, I walked up to Steve Sheath, who's the president of First Affirmative, and said, how can I get on board? So First Affirmative is a network that does all the investments for me, and they're out in Colorado, wonderful, wonderful group of people, but they're by and large not vegan. So my 
my company, Humane Investing, uses their products, but then I also do additional screening to try to make them as humane as possible. And I tell everyone, as possible, <laughs> there's nothing that is perfect yet in the marketplace, and we're working on that actively to change that. Wonderful. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. How? That's pretty cool. Then you obviously meant to be. You were going to a veg fest and then this this happened. That's obviously (laughs) great timing. That's that's fantastic. When you say you use their products, what does that mean? So the asset management piece of it is another thing that, again, it's funny that I did not set out to have this be such a big part of my life. I thought I was going to be a financial planner first and foremost. And I've always had delusions of grandeur. So I really want to affect the most amount of vegans possible. So I figured with hourly planning, somebody could come to me, see me once. If they don't need to see me again, it could be a decade. It could be three years later. Whatever the case could be, they see me when they needed to. But within a couple of years, I found out people more or less wanted their investments managed, which I hadn't anticipated. So they actually do all of that for me. So if someone says, I need help with putting together a financial plan, which happens all the time, I'm, I'm trying to decide whether or not to retire. Can I? Do I have the funds to retire? But, hey, will you also manage my investments for me? First Affirmative does that. So someone can transfer their accounts to us, and it will be managed by them. And then I go through the investments that they're doing and screen them. But we already, because they've already been doing this for many years, they're already using sustainable and responsible investments. Fantastic. Great. That sounds really cool. Fantastic. So tell us a bit, for people who really don't know, tell us exactly what does a financial planner do? Like it sounds obvious. Okay, you know, people want help with managing their finances. But can you kind of just talk us through a little bit about what a financial planner actually does? Sure. I think that's a great question because I work with people who are literally just starting out. So young people who say, should I use my 401k at work? What if the investments aren't humane? Or I'm saving for a down payment, but I've got credit card debt. Where should I start? More recently, I've had a lot of people who are trying to, (laughs) I joke, I'm trying to talk them into retiring. People who really are ready to retire, but they're not sure if financially they're in a position to do so. I'm jumping ahead, but I lost a client who I loved very, very dearly last year to cancer. He was an amazing man. He was changing the world. He was a vegan. His family's vegan. And ever since this happened, this is in October, it's even implanted in me more or convinced me more that people shouldn't stay at jobs they don't like. They should do what they want to do, and especially if they're activists, and this is something that's near and dear to their heart. I try to tell people, you tell me what you want, and I'll do everything in my power to help you financially to get there. Um, so it's more like a coach because some people have children and they say which 529 plan has the most social responsible options. Other people, like I said, have, need help with debt management. Some people are getting retired and they're like, what's the best strategy and distribution way that I should take money from my accounts tax-wise? Or should I roll over my pension? Or should I start getting distributions from this account? So it can be any number of things. And I don't pretend to know everything, but I am a certified financial planner. And we had to take a 10-hour test when I did it way back when. So I, I've told myself, even though I might not remember every single thing on that test, I do give myself credit that I believe I'll remember that, okay, okay, this is a situation where we can do something. I might not remember what it is right away, but we can do something when this, when this comes up from time to time. So I've been doing this a long enough time that, like I said, I don't pretend to know everything, but by golly, I will get an answer for everybody. 
Wonderful. It's fantastic. And it's nice to think, because I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, if someone hires a financial planner, you've got to be well off to be able, like only, you know, financially rich people um, hire financial planners. But I love what you've said, that it could be people of all ages. And, it, you know, it's really good to get that right, in, that correct information um, about all kinds of things, like you mentioned, whether that's debt management or, you know, retiring, whatever that might be. So it sounds as though you're kind of giving people advice. But then I noticed on your website, you have a, a difference between you specify the difference between a certified financial planner and a financial advisor so can you tell us what the difference between those those are certainly and this is embarrassing to admit but when I was with the large firm I was the only one in the office of about 45 who had my designation as a certified financial planner and I could I did not understand for life of me why more people didn't and I would tell my office manager, you know, we can encourage people to do this. It's for the good of the company. And I felt like I was always scared. I was always, um, I don't know, minimized. My concerns were minimized. It wasn't until I left, and this is where I feel very ignorant on this, that I realized had they gone ahead and gotten their certification, they couldn't have pushed annuities on everybody. And annuities, it's not like they're intrinsically wrong, but a lot of times they're very expensive and they make a lot of money for the salesperson. And that's what they are, salespeople. So I wouldn't do that. I refuse to do that. And it's not to say that people who don't have their CFP aren't ethical. That's not the case at all. But where I was, I saw this happen all the time where um, I can't think of the expression where if you look like it, where if you're a hammer, everyone looks like a nail. So they they had it drilled in them that this was the best thing for people. So they were going to find a way to make that part of the conversation with every client they had. So a financial advisor can be someone who passed a Series 7 and now they're selling investment products versus a fiduciary where we're going to put our client's best interest first. Okay. Wow. Now, for just for those who are completely financially non-literate, what do you mean by annuity? Oh, I'm sorry. So, um, I have had widows. This, this happens with a lot of different people, but widows where they come into a large sum of money, they walk into the bank, they're making a deposit of life insurance or whatever the case might be, and someone in the bank says, oh, you can roll this over into this investment, and they'll start spitting off all the benefits of locking up this money, and they'll, and they'll emphasize safety. What they're not telling them is that they're locking up their money, they can't have access to it. If they do, they'll get penalized but they're going to be making a 7% commission off of it. So it's not that it's always a bad thing, but nine times out of 10, or probably even more than that, to be honest, it's probably not the best alternative for people, especially if you're going through transition. I tell people don't make any big decisions with your money so that you can decide if you decide you want to sell your home, move, you'll have that option and have liquidity. So annuities uh, aren't intrinsically bad, but if you're working with a fee-only advisor now, they have products that you don't even have the surrender fees I referred to. So you're not going to find that at a bank or brokerage firm. They're going to have surrender charges and they're going to have fees associated with taking out your money when you need to. Got it. Got it. So you're basically giving people different options and then do you refer them on to people? So if they decide to go a different route, do you just like send them to first affirmative or do you work with like other professionals such as brokers or like once they've made their decision? Oh, great. So that's a great question. Um, I, 
never had to refer anyone to someone who sells an annuity. It hasn't happened yet. I'm not saying it would never, but depending upon how adamant they are as far as wanting sustainable and responsible investment options, they are starting to have those in the marketplace. And one of the beautiful things about First of Remove is even though I haven't had that come up yet, we have the equivalent of Facebook with all the advisors that we work with together. And when I was with a large firm in corporate America, this would never have happened. But with these folks, because they really do put their clients' best interest first, if I were to give a shout and say, hey, do you know any SRI options in the annuity space? I guarantee within an hour, I'd have responses from people who have worked in that already. So they would still be able to keep the business within um, within some product that doesn't have to have a, a sales charge or a surrender fee, but it would be something that um, probably I would look to the advice for for you know, fellow colleagues. Sure. I've, I've so I meant not necessarily annuity, but like, so someone say someone didn't say going with an annuity wasn't the right thing to do, but they wanted to put their money somewhere else or in some kind of other investment product. Then you're able to just um, transfer them to first affirmative, and they do all of that. Is that right? Oh um, no, actually they stay with me. First Affirmative doesn't work directly with clients. They have they do they're the investment professionals, if you will. So when I joke with people, I'm not behind my computer all day picking and choosing stocks. Those folks are. So they don't take client calls. They there's advisors around the country that work with the First Affirmative, and I guess the equivalent would be like a wholesaler as opposed to a retail shop where you go to a store instead of a manufacturer for other products. Oh, if that makes sense. Sure. So Does they, that make sense? Yeah, so they stay with you, like so you choose you help them choose where to invest their money. Right, right. Got it, got it. Okay. All right. See, those are the kind of questions I forget that. that thank you for even asking. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, like, you know, for example, like, because some people like to invest in stocks and shares, other people like to invest in property. So, for example, if someone said, oh, like, I really, I want to do uh, some property investing, like would you be able to help them with that or would you say, okay, I'm going to pass you on or I'm going to refer you to a, a property investor? Oh, right. Then I could refer them to someone else. We have REITs in our portfolios, but right, if they wanted actual real estate as opposed to a real estate investment trust, then yes, I could refer them to someone else. Okay, cool. So you're very much focused on right anything that's related to the actual an investment or investment trust. Okay, cool. That's I got right. it. Excellent. Thanks for explaining that. I think it's just good to to make that clear because I say sometimes it can be clear to people working in the industry or you know for those who are a bit more financially literate. But for some, they, they might think, oh, what are they talking about? So I just wanted to no, clarify certainly. that. So that's great. Oh, thank you. So, for yeah, that's all right. So let's talk a little bit about finance in in general. So many vegan business owners, especially when they're starting out, they tend to invest most, if not all of their uh, their spare money or their profits back into the business and they're not necessarily thinking about how they can place their money uh, somewhere in order for it to make money you know they're maybe not necessarily thinking about their own financial futures if you like so can you tell us a little bit about why financial planning is important for business owners Certainly, I feel that, and this isn't just with business owners, but with everybody, peace of mind is everything. And I try to, I joke about it, but I mean it. I try to internalize that worry for my clients so that they don't <laughs> have to. And I feel like with business owners especially, it's so easy to get caught up, like, you know, on the day-to-day -day part of it that you forget big picture, that you may be getting yourself in a bad position financially and not taking care of yourself. And I used to exhibit, or I still do, but 
going back nine years ago, I was at animal rights conference every year and I would have a table and people would see at that time, my business name was quinoa financial consulting. I want to educate people about quinoa, but that's mission accomplished. People know about quinoa now, <laughs> but I would be at the AR conference and younger people especially would see me and I, I feel, and maybe I'm making part of this up, but I felt like they would cringe when they saw a bad capitalist here at the animal rights conference. <laughs> but I feel like as time's gone on and they realize that they need to have money in order to, to be able to make a difference. And I used to joke with people, I say, you're not going to change the world being a dumpster diver. You have to save money for yourself. And that is even more important with business owners because if they're worried about not having enough money from themselves, it's going to affect their business. So if they're people are in a position to take that step before they leave their big company or the, you know, the comfort of wherever they are, I highly advise doing that. I mean, that's common sense where if you don't get yourself into debt, don't say I'm going to give myself 10 years to get this off the ground and then walk away with a huge amount of debt. Try to take all the steps necessary first so that they don't put themselves in that position. I, I, I would say not to do what I did. I would say make sure you have a business plan. Talk to people who can help you with a business plan so that it, that you are saying, all right, from day one, I might not be in the black, but as soon as I start making money, I'm going to open a SEP or a simple IRA or a 401k that's solo. And if I take on employees, I'm going to start that off because the biggest thing is power of compounding and I show everybody who will watch the the handout that shows if you let your investments compound how much how beneficial it is. And it's really exciting to show that to young people because nobody wants to save when they're twenty one. Nobody wants to think about <laughs> retirement when they're twenty one. And I and I get that. But when they see how they can have substantially more money than if they wait till they're thirty one, I've seen people say, All right, I need to start doing this now. And for those of us that are no longer 21, I say this isn't to depress you. It's just to show you that the sooner you start, the better off you're going to be later. Fantastic. And I've done a lot of things wrong in my life, so I'm not saying this to with with any sense of with any with any other reason other than I want to help other people. But I did that when I was young, and that's why I was able to do this with the peace of mind that I have now because I went probably five years without making money. And I think it's so important for people to know that I've had friends who say, I want to do what you do. You, you get to make your own hours. And I said, I went a long time without an income. Really? I was in a wow. to do right. So how did that come about? Do you say you went five years without making an income? Was that when you were starting your businesses? So you were when I was starting my business, right? Yeah. I mean, it was tough. And especially where to me, and this is, not having a background in business or finance, to me, it was more about starting a movement than about making money. And I know that's not a good way to start a business, but from the bottom of my heart, like I said, I wanted this to get going. And up until recently, and I told a client this the other day, and she was laughing at me, but I said, up until recently, I was really scared if I died in a plane crash, you mean investing would die <laughs> with it? <laughs> but now I feel that it's got, we have enough momentum and other, um, and what other people are getting on board with this now. So there's other advisors who can help people. So it's not about me. It's about the movement and it's happening. It's happening now. And I feel like every day there's more exciting news. So I didn't feel that way starting out. It was challenging. 
Yeah, fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing that as well. I think that's that's good for people to hear. You know, I really appreciate your honesty that, you know, even a, a financial planner, um, you know, can go a few years without um, earning an income and that you, you know, you obviously learn from that and you've got that wonderful experience that you're able to help people um, avoid doing that. So I, I do appreciate that. So in terms of investing, I mean, obviously investing of any kind has its, because I know you talked about compounding interest, investing obviously has its risks, whether you, uh, you know, going to invest in stocks and shares or whether you invest in property there's an element of risk albeit you know kind of calculated risk I guess but can you just talk to us about what some of the pitfalls are in in regards to investing and what considerations that many ethical business owners perhaps don't know about or realize oh certainly well I'm like like you probably have gathered I'm very conservative so I I tell folks not not to take a lot of risk and that way they're not going to be worried all the time and there's no it's no fun running a business if you are going to be worried all the time but I I mean definitely I would say you know insurance like have errors and emissions insurance to make sure that if anything happens you are covered and I can't tell you and you've probably seen this too how many people don't even know to do that Um, even if you don't plan on making any mistakes it's good to have that there just in case um, and just in general, putting money away for a rainy day so that when business isn't doing well, that you do have that money to fall back on. Got it. Got it, for sure. So what would you say some of the mistakes business owners make when it comes to finances? Um, probably not doing that. If they haven't saved adequately and they take that step, and then I've seen quite a few friends have to go back to work. And I felt that it's not a bad thing. I love that they realized that before it was too late. But when they start a business, maybe it wasn't well thought out or maybe it was. And it just didn't catch on as quickly as they had hoped. And then they have to go back to their day job. Um, And I don't know, that, like I said, that that's always a bad thing. I know emotionally it feels like a setback. But I, I just don't believe in failure. Like keep going. If it's a good idea and you're very passionate about it, keep going. But at the same time, sock away money. <laughs> sock away as much money as you can and lower your expenses. I had a, a client who was smarter than I am. I'm sure she was. She was a very bright woman. <laughs> but she was, she was out of work and she was still spending $600 a month on a personal trainer. And I oh, said, wow. you, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but really you need to cut down your expenses. And she said, but... The trainer makes me feel good about myself, and they always say you need to feel good about yourself. I said, you're not going to feel good about yourself when you're homeless. I said, I love you, but you need to, you need to cut your expenses. So that's where I feel like a lot of times my job is also as a coach, where I'm not telling somebody something they don't already know, but you just need somebody to nag you. And I also, and I also think it's because I don't have children. I nag the heck out of people, and I've had so many people thank me because they said you really stayed with me. I said that's what I do, for better or for worse. <laughs> so I don't know that anyone else always appreciates that, but my clients do because I do. I really do care about them, and I want them to be okay. Fantastic. I just wanted to go back on something because I remember as you you mentioned something earlier. You mentioned a four hundred one k. Now, just for our international readers, can you just briefly explain what that is? Is it like a pension, like a private pension fund kind of thing? Yes. Yes. Thank okay. you. I um, thought it was, sorry. but I just wanted to clarify in case because we've got sure, some listeners sorry. from all over. No, that's okay. A lot of times, the employer will sponsor a plan for people and. Younger people especially don't always take advantage of the match if they don't think the options are ethical. And I tell them the same thing I tell everybody else where I respect that that's what they want. They want the, they want to have the best investments possible. I say if you're turning down free money, that's not going to help you or the animals. So if you have a company sponsored plan and they offer a match, I tell everyone take it. 
Got Put it. money in it till you get. Got it. Fantastic. Thanks. Now, raising capital—it's one of the many, uh, one of the things that many vegan business owners struggle with, whether that's to start up a new venture or to maintain an existing one. You know, to have a bit of a cash injection to to help it continue. Just curious, uh, and it's, this might be slightly out of your your field because I know you focus on investments, but I'm just curious in your experience, what tips and advice could you offer in this regard? Well, you're right. It's completely out of my field, but I didn't know that it was when I first got started. So when people would ask me, I was scouring the globe looking for people who can help business owners. And probably the people I've met are the same ones you've already heard of. But this past December, I was invited to speak on investing at Woodstock Farm Sanctuary up in New York. And I was very, very fortunate to meet with three vegans who do do venture capital and help other vegan businesses get started. And one of them was Jody Rash. And I don't know if you've met him before, but he's with Veg Invest. Brilliant man. I met him when, goodness gracious, he was about to start a equity fund for vegans. And I think his timing was, it was 2008. So it was a tough, tough environment. But now he's, he actually helps with, um, with businesses just getting started it's Veg Invest, and then Liz D. She's oh, part I know of this. Yeah, she's been on the show. Oh, she actually. was yeah. wonderful. She was a doll. I know she helps too. And um, who else is there? It was a great panel. But they all work with that specifically, where I don't. I I do. When people come to me for that, I do refer them to those to those three folks because they are on top of things. Oh, Chris Care. Chris Care had been with Humane Society, and now he's in venture capital himself. But brilliant people. Okay, great. All right, fantastic. So I'm sorry, that's not my expertise. No, no, that's okay. No, it's good. I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you raised those. That you mentioned those people. And I say I've mentioned. I've um, interviewed Liz, and I I think I'll probably follow up with the other two that you mentioned. So that's good good to know. That's fantastic. So let's talk in terms of investing ethically. Let's talk a bit about. Can you tell a talk? Tell us a little bit about how well ethical investments do overall. Because I think there's maybe a little bit of a myth or a stigma that oh well, if you uh, if you invest ethically. You're not going to get the the same kind of return on investment that you would if you were investing in you know non-ethical companies. So can you just talk to a little bit about the performance of ethical investments overall and how they compare to non-ethical ones? Certainly, certainly. So they have been on par, and I try to tell people you can't look at what's the disclosure. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. One of the few indices that does follow better companies than the S and P, and I say better from an ethical standpoint, is the KLD 400. And the gosh, I'm trying to think of how long it's for. For 27 years, it's been around, and it's actually done better than the S and P. And that doesn't mean it always will. But sometimes when people say ethical investing, the part that I feel is where I cringe is that not all the funds that call themselves ethical are ethical to you and I. But so so to preface it with that, that that aside, there's now enough funds that you really can have a diversified portfolio and have emerging markets in there. Again, to the vegan to the extent possible. I, I full disclosure, nothing's perfect, but to the extent possible. And there are funds that you have, there's large companies, small companies, mid-sized companies, real estate investment trusts. And like I said, they're all over the, they're all over, they run the gamut now. Um, But they have performed just as well, if not better. And that's, like I said, that doesn't mean they're always going to, because one of the big, the big hurdles, if you will, with actively managed funds, not just SRI, but in general, is the fees are typically going to be higher. So, 
I recently had a client who thought we were, I'm big on full disclosure fees and they thought our fees were higher than what they had, but it's just that ours were disclosed and ours were actually half of what they had been paying. Oh, <laughs> so wow. it, it's not, it's, and it, they were shocked when I showed them that because it's, we, I tell everybody everything up front, almost to a fault sometimes so that they know 100% what they're getting into, but not everybody else does that. So performance-wise, once you get over the hurdle of fees, which comparing apples to apples, SRI funds generally are more expensive because of there's more rigorous screening involved. Um, I'm okay with that, and people I work with are okay with that, but I'm very, very optimistic that those fees are going to continue to come down. It seems like almost every week now, another fund family announces that they're reducing their fees, so Fantastic. that's a good thing, and I think that comes because as they get bigger and more and more people are interested in it, they have the ability to do that where that wasn't always the case. Fantastic. And just to clarify, SRI investment stands for socially responsible investment. Is that right? Katrina, shame on me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Historically, that's horrible. Historically, yes, it, it used to be socially responsible investing. Now, a lot of the term has evolved in a lot of and a lot of forums that address responsible investing to sustainable and responsible investing, but everybody and their mother is getting on board now, which again, I think it's a good thing. You can question their motives because a lot of these firms were not into it, but they think, oh, now I can make money. People want this. So it's not always wonderful because you can say they're deluded and a lot of them hold McDonald's, but they're moving in the right direction and I embrace that. But yes, you're correct. Sustainable or socially responsible. Sustainable. Okay. Well, let's hope that, you know, maybe you and I do another interview in maybe 10 years' time or five years' time. We'll be able to talk about VI. We'll have a nice little acronym of our own, vegan investing. (laughs) That's my goal. I always say as soon as all the SRI funds are vegan, I can can rest my hat. I can take off. I can focus on something else. I can leave everyone around alone. But that's my job in the world is I'm trying to get all the SRI funds to become vegan and where, um, have you heard of the group FAIR, F-A-I-R-R? Yes, yes, but, I have, yes. Because of them, I love them, but because of FAIR, I've been able to have an action item associated with bothering these mutual funds because historically I would – you know, call them, email them and say, do you screen for animal welfare issues? Do you screen for animal rights issues? And it was kind of a vague ask. But now because of FAIR, I can ask them, have you signed on the FAIR initiative? And a couple of the funds, it was, it was wonderful because the ones that hadn't been on board in the past, they want to be associated with FAIR. So they, they, they signed the initiative and I've enjoyed so much, you know, contacting them and saying, we're going to give preference to funds and to money managers that are actually on board with FAIR. So I love that group. I was able to meet them in New York as well. So I, I just can't thank Jeremy enough. I feel like he's doing everything I had been doing, but with money behind him. So it's a <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Because I was going to ask you actually how you're perceived in the industry. Because I know for some service providers, you know, who are vegan, but, you know, working in a non-vegan industry, a non-vegan world kind of thing, that they can be perceived as, you know, a bit weird or, you know, someone who's a bit strange and perhaps, you know, they don't, don't want to deal with them kind of thing. So I'm just kind of curious how, how you're perceived in the financial sector as a vegan vegan running an ethical investment business and whether it's presented any particular challenges in regards to your business. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So when I started with First Affirmative, I flew out to our first conference and I hadn't met these people bar that one experience in New York. And I loved them. Like I said, I, I thought the world of them, but I did not know how vegan friendly they were. So we're at our very first conference and we're going down the buffet line at lunch and they always have a beautiful buffet. It's very, it's catered. It's very nice. And all these five-star hotels. 
and I saw Morningstar meat. And I said, oh, my goodness, this just made my day. And it was, I can't remember if it was vegan or veg, but I was so impressed that they had it. But then, lo and behold, the further I walked, I see a carving station. So I was appalled and hurt and sad and disappointed. And to answer your question, I've been, I felt like a thorn in their side for years now because I was always bothered trying to raise the bar and I felt like they were tolerating me. And up until recently, I feel like they're starting to embrace it now too. So there was one woman who at one of our conferences, I, I'm, I used to be very shy, but I stood up at the end of the conference and I said, I challenge us to raise the bar for our industry and at least serve vegan meals when you're at an SRI conference. And it was funny because I was really nervous when I did that. I sat down and a woman next to me took her the microphone and said, no, I agree with Brenda, we should do that. But then the next day, a woman that I didn't know very well, she said, please don't take away our meat. And I said, really? Oh, We're at a conference for environmentalists who are trying to change the world. And she goes, I can't go a day without meat. And lo and behold, last year she said, you know, I'm trying it. I'm not going to promise I'm going vegan, but I'm trying it. So even the, even people who were not, I felt like they, I don't know, you've probably seen this before too, where their defenses are up, especially since they are good people and they do care, but this one thing has just stood in their way of, <laughs> of everything else. I feel like they're getting on board more. So I see what I want to see too. I'm very guilty of that, but I feel like we're, I feel like they're coming around. Oh, that's so, that's really good to hear. I'm so glad you, you shared that story. And we never know, actually, like when people are going to change. I recently just shared something on Facebook from the website Free From Harm, and it was 16 former meat and dairy farmers who've turned vegan activists. <gasps> and I just thought that was so oh cool, like the way they just put them all together in this list. And it's like, that's what I mean. It's like sometimes it's the most unlikely person you would never think of that will just suddenly have that epiphany and go, okay, that's it. So I think it's lovely that, and it, it takes people like, like, like yourself, Brenda, you know, to be able to have that confidence to stand up in a room full of people, 99% probably of whom are, you know, meat eaters who don't question these things to actually say, you know what, we can do better. And it's really important because it's voices like that, um, you know, particularly in those industries, like you say, finance industry tends to be a bit conservative to actually have the courage and the confidence to stand up and say that. And you can really make a difference. Like just having that woman shift from going from don't take what I need to, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. So really a huge kudos to oh, you and, and anyone else that I'm does that you. in these industries. I think that's, it does. Uh, it gives me fantastic. chill bumps. I feel like, oh, we're we're getting somewhere. So no, thank you for saying that. <laughs> that's great now as a service provider then Brenda I'm just curious is it just you like are you like a solopreneur or uh, do you have any staff that you work with no it's just me so when I like for trading and anything investment related I rely on first affirmative and they're wonderful but no it's just me so when I'm doing a plan for somebody if I have back-to-back people wanting them I have to put I have to tell them oh, it might not be till next week but the good thing is I enjoy working so I do work a lot Cool, got it, got it. And so approximately what percentage of your customers work with you or seek you out because you're vegan compared with non-vegan ones who just love your service? Oh, great question. Up, up until recently, I would say 99% of the people found me because my website's very obnoxious. I say right in the beginning, are you a vegan? Do you strive to change the world? So I think I screen people out who aren't on board already. Uh, but recently, I think because 
perhaps the CFP has been doing some marketing on their own. I've had people who aren't vegan or vegetarian reach out to me. And that was interesting because way back when I started, I said, I really just want to work with vegans because I love that I know that we're making money for people who aren't going to spend it on steak. (laughs) And the reverse goes too. I think people like knowing that their fees are going to me and I'm not going to be spending what I make on a steak dinner. So it goes both ways. But recently I've started having people who aren't vegan. And it's funny how they will bring that up in conversation to let me know. But they say, I don't mind that you are, but do you mind that we aren't? (laughs) So up until now, I'd have to say 99% of my clients were all vegan or veg. Um, at least one of the spouses were too, and that's how they found me. Look, most of them would find me looking up vegan investing, or I've met them at conferences because I've been doing this for so long. I've been tabling all over the place and speaking. Every place I was asked to speak last year, I went. So Veg Fest and Summer Fest and wherever I wherever I could, I would get in front of people, letting them know if they don't use me, make sure that they tell their advisor that this is something that's important to them because that's how change happens. Got it. Thank you. Now, there's a couple of things that came up there when you said that. So my first question would be, so when you decided, okay, you're going to work exclusively with veg, vegan people. So did you have enough clients? Because I know that's something that a lot of vegan service providers um, are curious about and they wonder, you know, look, if I go after a vegan market, is there enough business for me to to exist? No, hence the five years with no income. <laughs> But that's why I was really, I was really adamant about it too. So I probably could have done better sooner. And I, I'm not saying people should follow my lead, but just take that for what it is. I really didn't want to contribute to investment or really helping people spend money on things I didn't agree with. So it was arrogance on my part and some of it, but some of it is I work intimately with people. So I really, I really can say with confidence that I love everyone I work with. And it's funny because the people I've met recently who aren't, I feel that I missed a big opportunity and maybe other people can learn from my experience because instead of, instead of shutting these people out, kind of like divesting in the investment world, I wasn't helping by doing that. I feel like I was hurting more than helping, but that took me a while. I've evolved on a lot of things over my years, but that's one of the things where I feel like now I'm a positive influence on them as much as they are on me. So just like in real life, we have to get along with everybody. (laughs) We shouldn't just... Nice. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you shared that. And you're absolutely right. I noticed you used the word intimate there where you work intimately with people. And you're so right. Like a friend of mine who's been on the show, vegan psychologist Claire Mann, and she says, you know what? She's found people are more willing to share intimate details of their sex life than with their finances. You're you're right. You know what I mean? They don't want to say what their salary is or what, you know, what kind of money they've got. Um, So I think you're absolutely right there. So when you say, so now you've started working with these non-veg people and you said that they say to you, oh, um, I don't mind that you're vegan. Do you mind if we're not? So what do you say to them? How do you respond to that? Well, it's it's funny because I I tell them that I'm going to be obnoxious. And when I say obnoxious, not just not to them, but I'm representing them. So when I'm approaching a fund family and I say, and this happened recently, we have a fund in our portfolios that owns Marine Harvest, which is a seafood company. And when I found this out, I was disgusted and livid. And I said, I don't care how sustainable they purport to be. Nobody I work with wants to own a company that, that makes a living on selling seafood and killing animals. 
So I, I approached the fun family and I've been doing this long enough now that they know me and they probably cringe when they see my number come up. <laughs> oh no, here she is again. But I called them and I said, you know, if you don't get rid of this, we're getting rid of you. So to answer your question, I tell the people I'm working with that that is what I'm going to be doing. I'll still be representing them as a person who cares about animals. So if they're not okay with that, they probably want to keep looking. But most people, I think, even if they do eat animals, if they don't, if that is something that they're, you know, in the process of switching over, or maybe they're not, they get that we want humane investing. That's why they come to me. My my business name is a dead giveaway. That's you see, which yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. So now I'm going to have to ask you then. So when you said to that fund, either stop this or we get rid of you, like what what happened? This is funny because uh, the well, a backtrack. This happened a few years ago with a different fund family. And they didn't sell it. I wasn't, I didn't have enough clout with them that they cared. So I, I told them we're selling out. So we did. And lo and behold, this was probably three years ago when this happened. Now, the gentleman with whom I spoke, he took my concerns very seriously. And he was actually meeting with the president of the fund family to discuss, well, not just that, but other things too. But he said, we'll talk about it. They did not sell it, but I told him we're going to be selling it. I told him which fund we were replacing him with. And ironically, it was the fund that had owned an offensive holding a few years ago. But they recently joined the FAIR initiative at my urging. <laughs> so I feel like they're uh-huh. evolving. And I want, like I said, I don't want to fight with these companies. They were all trying to change the world. But this is one thing where we're just not going to agree that McDonald's is sustainable. It's still, it's still there's um, an index called the uh, DSI and it's one of the few SRI indices. I hate to keep using acronyms, but DSI is an ETF, and they own companies. And one of the companies they own is McDonald's. And I naively thought I could get them to drop it. But a lot of the firms that <laughs> own it, they keep saying, you know, McDonald's is moving in a great direction. And I say, <laughs> they still, um, yeah. <laughs> they're not yeah. what I consider sustainable or in any way, shape, or form. So we still have a ways to go. Cool. Yeah, but it's great that, again, it's great that you're doing that. You know, you're planting those seeds in there. At least you're getting them to have the conversation. And, you know, I think everything, all change comes from, you know, it starts with one conversation and then that builds and builds and builds. And who thought, I mean, I never thought in my lifetime we'd be seeing the popularity of veganism and and plant-based eating uh, in my lifetime, right. you know. So it it all comes from, you know, those yes. first conversations. So that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned, let's talk a little bit about marketing in terms of marketing your own business as a service provider. So I noticed you, you've already mentioned that you do a lot of speaking gigs. So you go to VegFest and you, you table or you have a stall or a booth. Um, so that's obviously, I guess, been an effective way for you to to yeah, let people know about your business. Um, what other forms of marketing have worked for you, Brenda? Well, one that I hadn't anticipated was our local meetup group. So when I first left my big firm and I was getting started, this is embarrassing too to admit, but I did not know what SRI was. So when you asked me, shame on me for not thinking <laughs> the president of our veg society here locally in Richmond, Virginia, she asked me to come and speak to our group on that. And I, I said, Lois, I'm flattered. I would love to, but I know nothing about SRI. So this is back in 2008. So I threw myself into it because I would, almost any time there was an outreach event, I was out there tabling, giving out vegan literature, 
but then going back to traditional investments the rest of the week. So I'm so grateful to her. And I tell her this every time I see her, that she's the one who opened my eyes to it, the contradiction of what I was doing. And we, I feel like people now, once you see it, kind of like going vegan itself, you can't just suspend your values out of convenience. So everyone has to invest. I tell people this isn't one more thing to add to your plate. Everyone's busy. I get that. So it's not, oh, no, now I have to do vegan investing too. But I say you already have to invest. Why not use investments that are at least trying to change the world in a good way? And if you only have options through your work, well, then talk to them about changing it. So I've done radio shows. I don't know if you know Karen in New York. And I've worked with um, Victoria Moran's Main Street Vegan Academy and oh, yes. the talk for them. And like I said, the sanctuary. I've gone to Peter's home office here in Norfolk. They've had me go there and speak to them. Um, but the meetup group, at my local meetup group, I, I've met so many people locally. I've been an organizer for the Richmond Veg Fest for 15 years, and so people know me that way, too. Um, and that's why I think it is funny because like I said, I didn't start this out. I hate when people, when they were, when I had someone, he was a financial advisor, a very nice person, but he's like, how can I meet people? <laughs> I said, that's, I can't stand people like you to go to groups that are trying to meet people. I mean, I've already know the people. That was the easy part. It was, it was the business part. That was the tough part. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like you've done quite a lot of offline uh, marketing that's really worked well for you. What about social media? Um, what uh, you know, platforms are you active on if you are in regards to your business? And, and what have you found to be most successful? Oh, great question. I have a page for Humane Investing, a Facebook page. And I tried to initially... I tried to make it as a resource for other financial advisors. I mean, talk about a bad business plan. I was trying to encourage everyone else to do what I'm doing. And I didn't feel like it really worked that way because other advisors didn't care about it. So now it's more geared to individual investors. But I try to put the funds that are more animal friendly than others so that even if people don't come to me, they can do it on their own or at least consider this. But I'm pretty active on the Humane Investment page. I remember some marketing guy who they go around trying to list their business, and he said, I was going to ask you if you need help, but you seem to be on there a lot. So I do try to put stuff on there. And, you know, there's good news all the time. I think one of the biggest challenges, anyone who wants to invest in vegan businesses knows this already, but one of the biggest challenges is that a lot of the companies that we love are not public, so we can't invest in them. But I try to let people know about which developments are happening as far as if a company has been taken over. Um, the big one, Silk Milk, where they had been with Gene Foods, and then they spun off to White Wave, and then recently um, Dan and Dan. Yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah, took them yeah, over. Yeah. So I think it, I try to let people at least know those kind of, I, I call them hurrahs. You probably knew about this one too, but was it la- yeah, last year? Green Century, one of the mutual funds that we used, they approached Tyson's and they said to them, how are you going to address the impact of so many people going veg? (laughs) And so I think that's one of the reasons that Tyson's bought Beyond Meat was because of Green Century and shareholder advocacy. So we'll see. To answer your question, I do use a Humane Investing Facebook page and then also I'm on LinkedIn. Not a whole lot, though. Okay. Meet up. Meet up. Meet up accidentally. So if you meet with people locally, um, I Good way to do it too. Yeah, no, that's good to know because there's nothing quite like it actually. In, in, in you know, I love I love being online. I think it's fantastic, and I love the way it connects people globally. But there's nothing quite like that in real life connecting. Um, and it's funny you say that tonight. Actually, I'm actually hosting a vegan business owners and entrepreneurs meet up in Sydney. We have them oh. times a year, and it is just really nice for people to come together and they learn a whole load of stuff. They you know make those connections, and as well as meeting new people, as you probably know, like you said, you've been running the 
the, your local veg fest for been uh, for about 15 years and it's when you keep showing up it's not just about meeting new people it's about seeing people you already know and so they start to become friends so it's not just this old business thing of what can I sell you it, you know you start to get friendly with these people you start to know them trust them get to know what they do and then often the the business um, aspect comes from that so I think it's it's really valuable I think particularly for service providers to yeah make sure they do do what you're doing and, and get out there locally uh, travel as much as they you know is within their budget and they can to, to speak at events because there's nothing quite like getting that real personalized live experience of a, a person so that's fantastic so just move on to the final kind of couple oh. of questions then what would you say um, Brenda are in running your own business and you know, particularly when you're I guess a bit of a maverick like yourself in 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 some ways um what personal qualities are essential for sustaining and running a business particularly as a solopreneur i think i I think being resilient i would never have thought i would be as resilient as i was (laughs) i honestly because you just can't give up and i feel like there were so many times where i was discouraged and i used to joke and i say it that i was joking but i wasn't i used to tell people when i would table at ar that if there was, say, a makeup company next to me, I would joke with them that I said, by the end of the day, I'm really going to resent you because people would come to my table, say, I'm sorry, I don't have any money. And then they go buy makeup. <laughs> and I say, that's why you don't have any money. So for a long time, for a long time, I would try not to get resentful because I would say, I'm not trying to do this for me. I'm trying to change the world. Don't you get that? So I think I had a little bit of self-pity about it because I really wanted this movement to pick up. Again, not for me, but because I feel like we can make a difference this way. So I I feel like I got discouraged a lot and I just had to, had to stick with it because I really love my clients. And so when I'm having a bad day, I have to remember why I'm doing this and this is for the people I love and I, I, it's such a wonderful thing because I have people that when something comes up like that seafood company, I have a handful of vegan clients that I can reach out to and say, what do you think about this before I start making a lot of noise? <laughs> like somewhere where I can take, somewhere I can take a step back from and say, is this worth it? And I have a few who are just like me where they'll say, absolutely make as much noise as you can. <laughs> where, where sometimes, where sometimes they'll say, you know, maybe you're getting a little carried away. <laughs> you do that sometimes and, and I can trust them. So it's, it's wonderful to have that kind of relationship where we love and love and respect each other, if you will. Fantastic. Now, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but like some people, like as we've seen the rise of veganism and the rise of particularly plant-based trends, plant-based food, there's some in the vegan community who are critical of what's being called vegan capitalism and the financial world in general. And especially, I guess, after, you know, what happened in the US in 2008, the global financial crisis. Um, And they're arguing that, you know, this isn't the answer to, you know, vegan capitalism isn't the answer to creating a fair and just world for animals or people. I'd love to get your take on that I gosh I hate to sound bratty but I feel like I don't have time to lament about that I heard is it I always say his name on Gary Frank Frank Fioni Frank Fioni he was at yeah. animal rights conference one year um, with Bruce Bruce Friedrich and they were debating about animal liberation versus animal welfare and I think it's great people come at it from different angles 
But again, you have to invest. So I tell people, if you, I mean, if you're not investing, I mean, literally, if you have money in a mattress, then this isn't for you. But if for the rest of us who are actually living in the world, we are addressing that we want to have money when we retire. We want to have money to do things for the world. And a lot of the clients I work with want to say, you know, they want their money to go to animal nonprofits and whatnot. So I tell them, if we're going to do this, we have to do it to the best of our ability. And that's what I focus on. I feel that way with so many world events. You can get depressed looking at all the negative. Activity, but I say every single day I focus on the part that I can control and I'm not going to worry about if it's, if it's the best for everybody or not because somebody's always going to find fault with it. Same with those people. Like I said, when the young people at Animal Rights Conference, when they would cringe when they saw me, they're now calling me. So I think a lot of people evolved to that too where it's not perfect, but we've got to do something. So why not start here? Yeah, for sure. It is. It's like acknowledging we, we do operate in, you know, broken systems, but as ethical and vegans, we can do the best we can within those systems. Right, so I, right. I definitely I agree with you there for sure. So what's your long term vision for yourself and your brand? I honestly hope and I hope it's not that far in the future where I'll still always do financial planning. I'll still always do what I'm doing, but I really do want to be made obsolete in the in the part of being humane investing. Like I said, I really want these funds. I feel like even my negative, even if I want to be negative Nelly and say, if they were to do it for the quote unquote wrong reasons, they could easily make some changes and add verbiage to their prospectuses to say we screen for animals and they could do that. And that's what I ask for them, of them, if you will, because they're already holding themselves out to the public as being SRI. And I think 99% of the people are not going to look under the hood, if you will, to see what's actually in these funds. And if they did, they would be appalled at some of the companies. So I'm trying to raise the bar for the industry. And I feel like once that happens, and hopefully it's not in the, it's not in the, it's Closer than I hope um, that, that that all SRI funds are humane. Fantastic. I love that. Um, I really love what you're doing. I just think it's so important, uh, you know, for someone like yourself to really kind of take a stand and make things happen. And you've absolutely done that. So and you've shared such a lot of uh, great information and given a whole different take, I think, on on investment and the importance of it and that it is possible, as you say, as much as is possible to do this in an ethical way and that it can benefit people, animals and planet. So thank you very, very much for coming on the show, Brenda. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking. Oh, thank you. I love what you did. Thank you. Right back at you. I can't thank you enough, Katrina. You're educating people around the world and you're, you're phenomenal. So thank you. So that was Brenda Morris of Humane Investing. You can find out more at humaneinvesting.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 71. Now for our Vegan Business News Roundup. The UK's first vegan climbing centre has opened, reports the Birmingham Mail. Flash Climbing is located in Solihull in the Midlands area of England. Started by a group of friends who are all keen climbers as well as vegans, the business uses vegan-friendly climbing shoes, serves soya and almond milk in its coffees and serves up vegan chocolate and flapjacks. T-shirts are available for sale, which are organic and ethically sourced, and the materials used to build the centre consisted mostly of plastic and recycled or reclaimed wood. Co-owner Richard Twilton left his job in television and sold his apartment in London to start the business, which also has a yoga studio and runs aerial classes, 
with kids climbing clubs and the opportunity to host events and parties on the horizon. Isn't this cool? It just goes to show how any business can be run on ethical vegan principles with just a few tweaks. Now, most people will go along to enjoy the climbing, plus the centre will attract vegans and ethical consumers as an extra market. So it's a win for everyone, including animals, of course, and the planet. Also in the UK, plant-based meal delivery service All Plants secured nearly £1 million in investment this week. That's May 2017, if you're listening in the future. Jonathan Petridis, aka JP, and his brother Alex started the business in late 2016 after switching to plant-based eating a year earlier and have delivered more than 15,000 meals across the country to date. The £800,000 cash injection came from venture capitalist firm Felix Capital, its first investment into a plant-based business. According to the brothers, who released a video to announce the funding, this is the largest venture round raised by a European vegan startup. The investment will be used to grow the company's vegan menu online, build a team and prepare for launch into major retailers. This is great news and I'm particularly pleased because JP is one of the panellists in the business support room that I'm hosting at VegFest UK Trade in October this year. This is the UK's first dedicated vegan trade show being held at Olympia in London and JP will be sharing his expertise on how to raise funds for your vegan venture. So if you're going to be in the UK on the 20th of October, I highly recommend you come along to this and you can find out more at trade.vegfest.co.uk. Now last week I reported that vegan burger company Impossible Foods had brought on a new chief science officer who was a former butcher. Now, another vegan burger company, Beyond Meat, has enticed a top former executive from Coca-Cola, reports Veg News. The drink giant's former vice president of sales, Charles Chuck Muth, has been named as the chief growth officer for Beyond Meat. He was brought on due to his strong record of driving substantial growth in both large and small brands. Muth will head the growth of retail and food service distribution expansion efforts at the Vegan Burger Company. So again, it's great to see these executives leave unethical industries and bring their skills and expertise to plant-based foods. Finally, Bentley is exploring alternative materials to cater for a demand from high-wealth vegans who don't want cruel traditional leather, reports Auto Express. Speaking at the Financial Times Future of the Car Summit, the luxury car brand's director of design, Stefan Selaf, said, You can't sell an animal-containing product like a Bentley with 20 leather hides to someone with a vegan lifestyle. We've been talking to these customers, in California especially, and they're asking us what we can give them. Selaf added that the company wanted to satisfy these customers because they are the peak of a trend. 
And to that end, Bentley is exploring protein leather and mushroom leather. Now, the article in Auto Express also mentioned jellyfish material, and it's not clear at the moment what's meant by this, but really hoping they don't mean the use of actual jellyfish, which of course would not be vegan. But it's great to see high-end brands starting to realise that luxury doesn't have to be equated with cruelty. So let's hope that vegan leather becomes the norm. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 